it, it remains poisonous, uh, but we have actually uh, managed to uh, clock up some gains, some achievements, despite all the troubles. I mean, as you know, my first interview was with yourself, and we were hopeful that at the time we were going to get some kind of funding from government, which hasn't materialized as yet. So still no funding? So uh, ha, ha. Let me park the funding for a moment. We'll come back to that. Uh, so uh, since you've taken over, people have still been complaining about post offices closing all over the show and uh, things seemingly going from bad to worse. So can you just give us a snapshot from your time in office in terms of what you found and where you are right now? Also, perhaps telling us a bit about the gains you say you've made. Yes, so I joined 20 months ago now. And what I did find was a company that was not managed properly at all over a, a long time. So a long period of time, there was no real management. I think things were on autopilot. So you get that when you look at the culture of the place, the, the manner in which people um, are you know, doing their work or not doing their work, but also in terms of what it is that we're doing. I feel SAPO has been an illusion of a business for the last even over a decade because um, there, there's really not have been any money in this business. We've been taking Peter's money to quickly pay Paul, and we've just been refighting people's money. And that's why you find that we are now sitting at very high levels of debt. For instance, we operate post offices all over the country. Most of those are rented premises, and those landlords are giving us this infrastructure to use, and we don't pay them, and it's been a number of years now, and that cannot be right. But also, I mean, there was a big, a huge, huge outcry about post offices closing. They are going to continue closing because it is the right thing to do. We do need to uh, reduce the liability of uh, the post office. We are operating most of our post offices, actually, uh, at a loss. So the right strategy is to right-size the organization, both in terms of that infrastructure, but also in terms of cutting costs of employment. Now, obviously, I don't have to tell you, Ms. Mona, that there's been a huge outcry, not just from the community about those post office doors actually closing, but obviously from staff as well. Um, staff expenses, I understand, relates uh, accounts to about 68% of the post office's total expenditure. But there have been outcries about the post office not meeting obligations, statutory obligations of paying over monies for medical aid, for example, and uh, also uh, eating into pension funds. So can we get some clarity on what's been happening here? Yeah, it goes back to exactly what I've said, Sakina. If you go back to what I've found in terms of the analysis, the post office itself has been, uh, you know, really running not as a business for a long time. Uh, that's the first issue. The second issue is that the only time or the last time that the post office posted any profit was in 2004. That's like 19 years ago. Um, so so that, that's what was happening. The second issue is that, um, you remember in the country there, were, there was a, a resurgence or a, 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 like a, a heightened use of, of labor brokers in the beginning. Then the labor brokers became, became unpopular uh, and they needed to be done away with. What SAPO did at the time, they absorbed 8,500 people to come and work for SAPO um, because those people were temporary. So there were no real jobs for those people at the time. 
So that just added a lot of strain on the structure and on the finances. Secondly, we used to have a, a courier freight group company, which was a, 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 a subsidiary of SAPO. And when that company you know, folded, it was being closed. 708 employees were also absorbed. They didn't have jobs. And, and that's also added onto a, a, an otherwise already bloated uh, kind of structure. So that was the one thing. That was even before the, the decline of the revenue. So revenues have declined by way over 50% in the last number of years. And as these revenues were declining, SAPO did not then quickly pivot and say, if the revenue has declined, therefore I must reduce my, my, my cost whether it's employment costs or cost of doing business, et cetera, that was left um, to stay at the, right, at the high level. So now we are faced with the consequences of those decisions, but also we also entered into the, um, contracts like the SASA contract, for instance. That contract was detrimental to the business of SAPO, actually, instead of being helpful to everyone else made money on the contract except for SAPO. And, and the um, unintended consequence of that contract as well was that people, then there was a migration of business on all our other services. So people then went elsewhere because post offices are full, post offices are full, there's long queues, and you know, you can't really do business. And then there was COVID. Now people are worried about if I go to the post office, am I not going to catch COVID, etc. But the other side of the effect and impact of COVID was that the shutdowns, the lockdowns and everything, they affected the business of the post office. So now what we are doing is we are looking at the thing in its barest form. We are saying, let's look at it for what it is and stop pretending that we are running a business here. And because of that, we realize that we do need to go all the way back to source. How do you fix this problem? I'm hasten to also add that we are asking government for some support financially. But I'll also tell you that even if government gives us support currently, this process of um, reducing and cutting costs is going to have to happen because it would not, it's not going to be sustainable. Can you confirm uh, this plan for cutting the salaries by around 40%? And how exactly are you going to implement this? Uh, because I've read somewhere that you're looking at reducing working hours. But how exactly are you going to do this? And will it be applied uh, across the board? Or is there a criteria for choosing which employees will be affected by this? Yes. So so how we approach it is actually on the on the opposite side. So we are saying we will be introducing a three-day work week at the post office. Remember, currently we're sitting at 13,613 employees, and we believe that it is going to be possible for all of us to, to, job, to do the job-sharing kind of model. So how it's going to work is that you will work for three days a week, and your other colleagues will work for the next three days so that the post office hours of operation are not uh, affected. So we will continue to open as we did, but there will be some uh, employees who come in the first three days of the week, the others the last three days. Remember, some employees work on a Saturday as well. So we will ensure that continuity is happening. Um, so that then means you will be paid for the work that you have actually done, meaning it would be 60% of what would have been a five-day work week. And that's where the 40% um, you know, go um, uh, cut comes from. Uh, in our proposal uh, to the board, this has to cut across every level of the organization, all the way from the CEO 
uh, all the way down, even though I know as I speak to you now, there is no way I'm going to work three days a week. I'm going to have to work the whole time. But this has to work, and it's important that we actually base it on numbers. We first look at whether we introduce a four-day work week, and the impact financially was not that great. So we then wanted to say, how then do you do it best by making sure that you uh, get a higher impact? But secondly, there's another way that we are really looking at this. We are trying as much as possible under very difficult conditions to avoid forced retrenchments because we understand that this economy is not creating jobs. So we are looking at ways in which people's jobs can be protected, but at the same time the work is done. And there are a number of other ideas that we have put on the table to say some of the people might be able to claw back on that uh, 40% loss, but those are internal processes. It's just that when they, uh, we were hoping to come and uh, present this to, to South Africa in a much better way than it has now been forced on us by being reached out. So uh, what has been uh, the feedback? Because I know uh, CWU, the Communication Workers Union, um, they were concerned about this. Uh, the DA's Diane Cola Barnard has actually said that um, if you go ahead with what she called a criminal move of reducing staff hours, the DA will report the matter to the public protector, the CCMA, and the Department of Labor. So have those engagements been going, or are we not there yet? Well, we, we are. We have spoken to uh, both unions. Remember, SAPO is organized by both the CWU and what we call joined uh, with SAPO and the PACU uh, being uh, members. So we have engaged with them to say, um, guys, here's where we are. Here are the numbers. This is what our situation looks like. We do not see another option, you know, um, at this point, uh, except for actually taking this knock. So all of us are concerned, not just the, the unions. Ourselves, are. we all are concerned. This is not going to be an easy decision to all of us, but it is, it, it's a decision that has to be taken. And in fact, this decision should have been taken four, five, six years ago, for example. You know, and the fact that it's delayed it has actually created the problem. I don't believe this is a criminal action. It actually is what we are trying to do to preserve jobs, but also at the same time to ensure that support the company survives because our allegiance is to the company first, not even to uh, employees as such. So we welcome people to go to all avenues that they can exhaust. And we have also identified the CCMA because this is a labor matter. We have identified the CCMA as a potential stakeholder that we are going to be approaching so that they can assist us in terms of how this can be done. Remember, in, in the LRA, which is the Labor Relations Act, um, this will constitute a change to terms and conditions of employment. It doesn't mean that those changes cannot be done, but there must be consultation, there must be uh, you know, negotiations, etc. But we are out of time, so we have to move with speed. Will you be offering severance packages to those who may say, this is too much for me and I'd rather opt out at this point? In fact, Sakina, we have already started offering what we call voluntary severance packages. So we are on phase three now where people have been taking some of them. That's why when I joined SAPO, there were 15,600 people working for us. As of yesterday, there are 13,613, as you heard. So some of those people have gone on pension, uh, but others have left, but most of them have taken this VSP. What we've done with the VSP is we've, we've aligned it to 
the retrenchment package. So if you were going to be formally retrenched, you would have been paid a week for every year that you've worked at SAPO. Remembering as well that SAPO people don't leave. So we have people who've worked for 40 years, I mean, straight up to out, out of school, and you have to then be able to pay those. So we are offering them in a voluntary manner, also purely because we can't afford to just give them straight out in terms of the Section 189. But the Section 189 is also not off the table. We have put it to the union table, but we haven't uh, progressed any further on that. I mean, I think people listening to this, Ms. Mona, are thinking, if SAPO has 13,613 employees across the country, how is it that whenever you go to a post office, there's ever only one or two people working? It's a management issue, um, I think, because you've done two, two, because that was my question coming in from the outside. So we've done two processes of staff verification because I was so sure that um, the bulk would be ghosts so to speak. So we did find uh, a number of people who should not have been on the payroll in the first round, and we've done another one just recently using external forces, sorry, external resources. So that, that, that one has a, a, a layer of you know, um, assurance, so to speak. But it really is about the culture that I spoke about earlier, that uh, we as the leadership at the top cannot be everywhere. So it's important that some, some of the people uh, who are supposed to be managing these people are there. So there has been uh, a like, like, what do they call it, like, say, attitude, and people go where they want to go. No one is watching them. They are sitting somewhere in a remote area, etc. So those are cultural issues that will need to be dealt with as well, which is why sometimes when I think about the SAPO phenomenon, I realize that not all SAPO employees are victims, actually, of what is happening. Because if you work for a company and you watch your, your fellow employees uh, stealing people's parcels, not delivering, not sorting, not performing, and you keep quiet and you're part of that, in my book, you are complicit. And now when the chips are down and when your bread is off the table, you know, you can't blame everyone else. You need to also look from within. So there has been issues around performance in supper, and really that needs to stop. As we wrap this up, Ms. Mona, so just coming back to the issue of money and treasury. Uh, so uh, I understand you've sought a cash injection as the South African Post Office of 1.6 billion rand uh, from treasury. Uh, but then the Minister of Communications uh, had earlier indicated plans to roll out 100 new post office branches and uh, to revamp the group's infrastructure. So, you know, how is all of this going to happen? What is the plan? How is it going to be rolled out? But also, whilst we're speaking money, um, those uh, who have been pushing back, uh, those who have been unhappy about what's been happening at the post office, have also pointed out that uh, as CEO, Ms. Mona, uh, you earn 3.9 million rand, um, uh, the uh, entity's non-executive uh, members earning a collective annual amount of 2.7 million, and maybe confirm that for us? And also, you know, um, how do you respond to them if they say, well, if this entity is bankrupt, why then are the executives earning so much? You asked the question about branches at first. Yes. So, um, so that conversation with the minister, it was on the basis of the post bank, because 
because the post bank is going to become a state bank now, they need to be, um, you know, we're going to be partnering with them so that they could revamp some of the branches that they would use and we take it from there. So it's also part of the revitalization of branches going forward. But that's a discussion that the minister is still, uh, you know, going to be leading from, from that side. Um, in terms of SAPO's, um, you know, salary bill, We've looked at the salary bill, and we've actually said uh, amongst ourselves, you can get rid of all of us at Exco and the, the executives and then maybe the management. It will not move the needle. 90% of SAPO's um, uh, employment costs are at the lower level. So we actually have four areas, and the management makes up 7% of the whole total bill. So whether you take the 3.9 that the CEO earns and spread it across, it will actually not make any difference. And, and in terms of the, uh, responding specifically to a CEO of an entity earning a certain amount of money, um, I really cannot be uh, you know, uh, responding objectively on that because I am the subject. And therefore, this is a question that needs to go to the level of the ministry and even the board because... Uh, CEOs, by the very nature, are appointed by Well, Ms. Mona, we'll leave it there for now and we'll keep an eye on these developments. But thanks so much. Uh, that's the Post Office CEO, Nomkita Mona.